Here we are, once again. Good morning, how's everybody? Awesome. Very good. I, I do have a few things I'd like to share with you today. Uh, first and foremost, want to welcome you guys again. And uh, for those of you that, uh, that didn't know, we have uh, started a membership class. It was today, which you can still join tomorrow or next week if you'd like. If you'd like to come back and refresh your membership course, uh, we have changed a few things. So I'm going to encourage you to uh, take it up as, as, uh, as soon as you can and, and come join us. We have Sunday school class or the membership class at 9 a.m. in the morning. And um, you can join the other two that are doing the membership class with us. Uh, so, yeah, just let me know. I'll make some more um, copies and we'll get you started on the second part. Second part is because the, they're all individual parts, we will be able to do... Uh, the second part, and then if you come back the following week, for those of you that missed the first part, we can do that as well. But uh, let's open up our Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're getting to the point where uh, many of you have been looking for and uh, trying to wait in anticipation, uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And we're going to talk about the rapture and, and what that means for the end times. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to camp out a little bit there and just kind of go over some other verses in the book of Revelation. And, uh, of course, what Jesus said in Matthew 24. But uh, the rapture. Just so you know, when we start talking about the rapture, one of the things that we need to understand is that there are all these signs for the end times. The wars, rumors of war, uh, the deception first and foremost, the, um, the famines and the pestilence, and all these things that are to take place prior to Jesus Christ's second coming. We don't have a sign or any signs for the rapture. The rapture, as a matter of fact, it happens and it is a sign stating that now the time clock is set for the end time. Uh, most people that believe in what we call the post-tribulation uh, rapture, meaning that uh, Jesus Christ will rapture the church before the tribulation, believe that after the church is raptured, that the seven-year tribulation starts. There's three and a half years of peace and prosperity, and then three and a half years of turmoil and wickedness and everything else that takes place. And so there, there's a lot that, um, that we need to cover during that time. But Paul is addressing uh, the this, this second coming only because a lot of the Thessalonians were wondering, well, what happens to those that have fallen asleep? What happens to those that have died before us? Well, you know, you're, you're proclaiming that Jesus is going to come. Well, we know he's going to come and he's going to rapture to us. But, but what about everyone else? So what Paul wants to get across is, beloved, do not... Don't worry, because those who die in Christ first, they're the ones that are going to be resurrected first and foremost. And then us who are left behind, we're going to get caught up in midair with him. And so from, from chapter 4 on, and what we're going to start today, all of this is practical advice. Paul's already talked to us theologically. Here's the things that you need to know. Here's the things that I want you to see. Here's the things that you have to understand. You're Doctrine is going to determine your daily living and how you respond to various things. And so Paul, from this point forward, he is going to the place where he wants you to be established in the kingdom of God. He wants you to be established in the word of God. He wants you to be established in your faith so that nothing moves you. Now, just, just as a recap, if we go back to verses 11 of chapter 3, 12 and 13, <clears throat> this is the prayer that we talked about last week. This is the prayer that every pastor should be praying for their congregation. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's already projecting Jesus Christ is coming. 
He already, he's already projecting, you need to be established. He's already projecting, he wants you to live in holiness. He wants you to live blameless. Your heart's to be blameless in holiness. It's to, to be blameless in holiness before God, our Father, so that you can be ready at the time of his coming. So Paul is setting this up already. He's already, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm done with the, the doctrinal part, how to live, how to stand fast, the things that you need to know. And now I'm going to show you some practical things that you ought to do. And, and so what Paul is, is describing here is in chapter four, he says, okay, and this is the indicator, finally. And, and so just so you know, as a preacher, as a pastor, as I'm, as I'm preaching my message, I follow Paul's example when, he, when it comes to preaching. In, in chapter 4, he's already gone through three chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Now he has two more chapters to preach on or to speak about. So he says, finally. So if you ever hear me say, finally, it's just because I'm halfway done. Okay, that's it. I'm halfway done and I've got another 20 minutes or 30 minutes to go. So when I say finally, like Paul, he's got a whole lot more to say. And what, what this indicator is showing, okay, here's what I just taught you. Here's what I want you to know. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you, that as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. You want to know God's will? There it is, your sanctification. Now, maybe you might not understand it. We, talked, we spent a lot of time on sanctification, holiness last week, but we will go over that again. Verse, verse 3 once again, for this is the will of God. Many people are always asking, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my job? What's God's will for my marriage? What's God's will? What's God's will? What's God's will? Here it is. You want to know what God's will is? It's your sanctification. And this, I believe, beloved, is something that you must know if you want to know the will of God. How many of you want to know the will of God? You want to know the will of God? Amen? Yeah, of course you do. I mean, that's why you're here. You want to know God's will. This is key, beloved, your sanctification. And so because it's a word that is extra biblical, and I'm going to explain it again. We're going to go over it again. Once again, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Father in heaven, I pray that as this message is being proclaimed and those that are listening online and everywhere else within the sound of my voice come to recognize and realize the sexual immorality that is pervasive, not only in the culture, but sometimes even within the church. And this is one area that Paul first and foremost addresses before even the second coming, before the rapture. And so Lord, this is of importance to this city as it should be to us. As to the people that live in Thessalonica, it should be as important to us as well. So Father, help us to heed and to listen and to understand what your word is and how it is to affect our lives. So Father, thank you once again for this opportunity to go through this portion of scripture we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. Open up your, pull out your outlines. And the very first thing that I want to talk about is how to please your father. Verse 1 says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. What Paul is saying is, you know, as if you've been following along with what I've been saying here these last few weeks as we've been going through the book of Thessalonians, Paul has been using a lot of um, militant military terms 
terms as far as standing firm and, and this, these obstacles that seem to get in the way. They're obstacles that the military personnel would do to, to cause the roads to be all damaged so the enemy wouldn't come in. Paul has been using a lot of military terms, a lot of forthright commands and, and dictating what should be done. And here in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Finally then, brothers, he addresses you as loved brothers. You know, you, you, are, you are my Adelphoi. I, I love you guys, and I want you guys, and I ask. It's like a pleading, a begging, a gentleness of the Father saying, Please, I ask you, and I, and I urge you in the Lord, please and first and foremost, that, you, uh, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul is constantly concerned about how the believer walks. And walking is not just the way you put one foot in front of the other, but walking is how you live your life. And Paul has used this term over and over and over again to the other letters and the other people that he has written to. I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Walk in such a manner that others will not downgrade or look, look down on you. Walk in the spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk, walk, walk. Paul is concerned, constantly concerned about your and my walk. And Paul goes here again. I want you to do this because, you know, just he's already talked to them. And if you remember correctly, he was only there for just a few weeks or months, if that. And he was kind of rushed out of town. He was chased out of town because they didn't like what he was preaching. And so he was concerned about the people in Thessalonica and he was concerned about their upbringing. What did they catch? What did they teach? What was I able to teach them? Did they even receive it? And so he was so concerned. His heart was heavy. He sent Timothy to go find out what's going on. Timothy comes back and says, Paul, you won't believe what happened. These guys are just blossoming and they're growing and they're, they, the word that you preach to them, even though it was just for a short time, they took it and it planted and it is abounding and they are sounding it out to everybody that they can think of. And everyone is hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ because of the time that we spent there with them. And Paul is just so excited he writes them a letter. He writes them this letter to encourage them. And so one of the things that we know is during that time that he was there, he taught them. He, he taught them because he says, we, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, you, that, that as you receive from us, he says, I already talked to you guys about what you guys need to do. There are a lot of things that Paul is teaching, and I'll go over those here in just a little bit, but there are a lot of things that he has taught us, and the very first thing is he's wanting to do is he's pleading with them, please, as best as you know how, you need to search God in all that you do. You need to search Him in all that you do. You need to try to get as, as close as you can to Him because there are a lot of things that you need to know. There are a lot of things that you should have under your belt. There are a lot of things that you should be able to, 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 to at least fall back on. Some of those things, you, you need to, we need to learn how to confess our sins on a regular basis. Paul says, we're sinners. And everything that we do that goes up against God or goes up against His Word, we need to confess it. Now, as I said many times before, confession is not telling God something that He doesn't already know. Many times you're asked to confess to one another and you're asked to tell somebody or you go to a church or to a, a priest and you're confessing to this priest and you're giving them information that they do not already know. But see, in the Bible, confession is totally different than that. See, because God knows everything. Amen. He's not standing up there and waiting for you to come to him and tell him things that he doesn't know. God, I got something to tell you. Now, you might, you might want to hold on because this is going to blow you away, you know. And it's not like you're, you're able to dictate to him something that he doesn't know what you've already done. So confession, just by that, just by understanding that God already knows, you, you should already understand that confessing is not saying something that God doesn't know, but confession is declaring something to God that you agree on, that He agrees on. You confess to Him on things that He already knows. Say, God, I'm a sinner. Here's what I've done. You know what He's going to say? He's going to say, I know. I know you're a sinner. I know you've failed. 
And so Paul taught them how to confess and regularly their sins. He taught them how to pray continuously and to trust him. He taught them humility, how to pursue humility, not to think of themselves so highly, but to think of others more than you do yourself. He taught them how to be content with God's will and be content with what God has given them. He taught them how to be willing to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. He taught them how to evangelize the lost. He taught them how to celebrate the Lord's table. He taught them how to care for one another. He taught them how to honor God in their marriages and their families. He taught them to be diligent and fruitful in all avenues of service. Paul had just spent some time just teaching them and teaching them. And these guys just soaked it up and they go, we can do this. We can do this. And Paul says, I've already showed you. I've already gone over this. And, and just like I showed you in the Old Testament, you need to go to the word. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 42 in your outlines, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Let this picture set in your mind's eye. As you can imagine and view a deer just running and running and running and it is it panting and out of breath and it comes to a cool stream and, and, and it comes in and it starts to drink up lap up the water from the stream and and the writer the the, the, the psalmist says that's how my heart is to you lord i've been running and running and running and i want to come to you i want to drink from the wealth of your knowledge of your wisdom of your word as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you. And that's how our willingness and, and the things that God has taught us for all believers, the pursuit of knowing God is the basic component of spiritual growth. Knowing God should be the one thing that you want to do. Not knowing yourself, not knowing how to handle money, not knowing how to handle your family, not knowing how to work at a job, not knowing how to get out of debt or get out of spiritual bondage or whatever the case may be that you may have been taught or learning from other, other places. Not self-help to and how-to books, do-it-yourself type of things. Your greatest goal should be to know God, to know him. And, and you know, and I'm, gonna, I'm even going to go a step further. And it's not necessarily just knowing the word. There are a lot of people that want the knowledge to know God's word. You see, knowing God's word does nothing for you if you don't put it into practice. If God's word is not directing you to God himself, you want to come to a place where you know God. And this is what Paul is saying. Your desire should be just like that deer. You want to know about God so that you can know God. So that you can know who he is, his power, his strength, his wisdom. This is not in your outlines, but in 1 John, if you want to turn there, it's, it's not John, the gospel of John, but it's 1 John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, to the end of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, John has given the, the believers there that he's written to a list. Here's some things that I want you to do. And I'm going to ask you, if you're there, to underline these, these three things for me, if, if you're there already. But I'm just going to read it, and you might want to write this down in your outlines. But as he says here, I am writing to you, this is 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, underline little children. I am writing to you, little children. Look at the progression that Paul, that John does to the people at the church that he's writing to. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for the name's sake. He says, because of Jesus Christ, the name, your sins have already been forgiven. If you, if you are genuinely repentant and saved, if you are genuinely in the family of God, then according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, John is saying, you're saved. You're, you're, you're little children, you're children of God because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I am writing to you fathers, now circle the word father or underline, because you know Him who is from the beginning. He says, uh, you already have experienced his forgiveness and you're starting to know him and you're grown up, you're mature and you should be able to handle God's word in such a way that is going to give you doctrinal strong uh, stances against Satan lies. 
And unlike the children and unlike, you know, those that don't believe, sometimes, you know, as children, they can be pushed back and forth. But as a father, as a grown up, you have a little bit more to stand on. And then he goes on to say, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You know, as young men, I'm sorry, I think I skipped something here. Father, and because of young men, he says, you know, you know doctrine and you're strong against Satan's lies. And, and now you're developing your ability to withstand all these things. And because you have come over the evil, and I write to you children because of, you know your father, the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is a progression. You start off as a child. You start to drink. And the first thing, just like a child does when he's born, the very first thing he cries for is milk. You're born again. The very first thing you should cry for is the word of God, milk. And he should, it should establish you to be a young man, a young person. You know what? I'm starting to understand this. Now as a father, as a grown-up, I'm able to stand. And it just behooves me to see believers or believers that say, They've been believers 30, 20, 15 years as believers still falling like children or even young men. And many times I say, you're not a 30 year old Christian. You're a one year old Christian 30 times because the word of God should have taken root and has been established. And this is what Paul is saying to this young church. He says, I I want you to take what you have learned from me and understand the power and the principles for excelling into what he wants you to be. He says, then, uh, then, brothers, we ask again and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing. You remember back in 312. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.12 in your outlines, it says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul has been teaching. He's been training. He says, I want this to be your number one virtue, to love one another. That is the commandment that Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ says, I give you a new command. Love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have Love for one another. Genuine love. Agape love. Unconditional love. You know, we can all say that we love people. We love our family. We love our friends. You know, we love... But, but, you know, that's just a a love of convenience or a love of, you know, not only convenience, but, but, you know, when you have a, a love of unconditional love... That that's there is no conditions. Sometimes we have love with conditions. I love you because, or I love you when, or I love you if. And Jesus says no. This is how, and, and it is so dramatic. It is such a powerful picture that that Jesus says people will know that you're my disciples because of the type of love that you have for one another. And this is this was Paul's prayer before he gets into this part. He says, may the Lord uh, make you increase and abound in love for one another. This is what Jesus Christ prayed for. This is what he desires for all of us. Number two. If I'm going to please God, if I'm going to please my father, I need to obey him to please him. I need to obey him to please him. He goes on to say, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it is that we gave you and what we've done. You know what, this verse here, I put it in the wrong spot. I just realized that. This next verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll go over right now. Spiritual growth is not something, it's not something that you just, it just happens. You don't wake up one day and say, okay, I'm spiritually grown. Just like a baby doesn't wake up one day and he's working. Or unless you watch Baby Boss, I guess. I don't know. You watch cartoons, maybe. That's in fairy tale land. That's in make-believe land. You cannot come to Christ and grow one day to the next. It is a process. Oh, there's a big change in your life. Definitely. There's a huge change. You are now crying for milk. You are now crying for the fellowship. You are now desiring the other believers. There's a big change in your life. You no longer want anything to do with sin. You, you no longer want anything to do with the world because your life now has changed. 
And there's a huge change. But you grow through that because that world has a latch on you like you wouldn't believe if you know what I mean. Many of you have experienced that where the world just keeps coming back. And I'm not talking about with the, the simple things that, and I say simple, and I know for some of you maybe it may not have been so simple, but I'm not talking about the obvious things like drugs and alcohol and, and uh, sleeping around and all the cussing and all those things. You know, those are obvious sins. But I'm talking about the things that are deep down inside my heart, the jealousy, the resentment, the bitterness that cling on, the the. Uh, desire for other things, uh, you know, those things that, that God says to stay away from. Those are the things that sometimes creep up and they latch on and sometimes I can't let go. And those are the things that, that we have to grow in and develop in. You get to a point where those things no longer affect you. Those things no longer hit you like they used to. And so now Satan has to try to come in with other things. And those things which, which I've let go and which I've, I've not held on to, every once in a while it'll creep up and I recognize it and I put it back. And, and, and those are the things that don't control me anymore. They should not control you as well. Spiritual growth, it's, not, it's a process. It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not where you end up at. It's not where you, okay, I've arrived. It's a pursuit of spiritual excellence. And now look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. Do you not know, Paul says, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, you know, there's some things that are still latching onto my life. There's some sin that is still holding on. And I am disciplined. I discipline my body. Those things come up. I knock them out. I'm not just out boxing in the air. I'm literally fighting in the spiritual warfare. We went over spiritual warfare here a couple of weeks ago. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. And I, I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, by walking in the spirit, I do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And Paul's teaching us on how he's done this. And so he's teaching the people in Corinth, this is what I do. I, I want to keep my body under control because, you know, after, after I finish preaching, after I finish, then I become disqualified for acting out the things that I just right now said don't do. The pressure for the people in Thessalonica to stay on the path of righteousness and excel more and more in their walk with Christ came from the fact that they already knew the instructions that Paul gave them through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ himself authorized Paul's exhortation to the church in Thessalonica. This, he says, these are things that God gave me. Jesus Christ gave me these things. He said, here's what you need to know. And so those who seek to know God better, to love him more, and to obey him more thoroughly, must live according to the commands of Scripture. You cannot grow without doing what the Bible says. You cannot grow. You, you cannot say, well, this is what the Bible says, and I'm going to pray about it. Uh, how can you pray about something that God already told you not to do? Or how can you pray about something that God told you to do? You just do it. You step out in faith and say, I'm going to do what the Bible says. And we're going to talk about a few of those things here in just a bit. Believers will experience growth towards spiritual excellence through power, through the power of, the, of Christ and dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit, through taking His Word and making it real in your life and being transformed into His glory. You see, here in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be set apart. You want to know what God's will is for your life? He wants you to be set apart from this world. I spent a lot of time last week on sanctification, on holiness. Be holy like I am holy, God says. 
Peter told us that. He says, you know, just like, just like it says in the Old Testament, be holy because God is holy. God separated a people for himself. And he gave them these parameters. And he says, these are the parameters I'm giving you. And you must abide by these parameters so that you can be different. Remember, holiness or being holy is being different. Because we looked at the Old Testament, remember, and the, he told the Levites, God told the Levites, I want you to teach my people the difference between holy and common. I want you to teach people everything that you know about holiness through these laws, through these dietary laws, through these relationship laws. I want you to teach people how to be uncommon, not common. You would think the opposite of holy is unholy, which it is. But the word for holy is separate, uncommon, different. And God gave us parameters. He says, here's how the world is going to know that you are different. Here a few weeks ago, I talked about this young lady named Jessica Tapia. She's a teacher, a high school teacher in Harupa. And uh, she stood up. She says, I'm, I'm different. I'm different. She didn't actually say those words, but, but her actions proclaimed it. They told her that if the parents start to, uh, according to this new rule now that we have in the school system, now if the parents start asking if their kids are transgender, you just got to tell them no. So I can't do that. You can't answer that. What if they, you can't answer that question. You just got to tell them that you don't know. But what if I do know? Well, you just tell them that you just don't know. You want me to lie? He goes, yeah, well, just, you know, that's what all the other Christian teachers are doing. And she says, what? All the other Christian teachers, are, you're instructing them to lie to the parents? Well, it's not really lying. Yes, it is. She says, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm, I'm different. I was told that these are my parameters, and one of them is don't lie. Well, I mean, can't you do it for the sake of your job? No, I can't do it for the sake of anything except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come into your class. As a gym teacher, you're going to see boys trying to go into the girl. Oh, no, 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 no. Not on my watch. There's not going to be any boy walking into a girl's restroom. They're not, they're, they're not you know, well, you have to let them in. Why? I, no, I don't. That is wrong. That is perverse. How can you ask me to do that? Well, it's either that or we're going to have to let you go. Well, I, I, I'm not going anywhere. And number two, I'm not going to let that happen. Number one, I'm not going to let that happen. Number two, I'm not going to go anywhere. Ultimately, she was fired in last July from her job. And of course, she's down to lawsuit and all kinds of other things. Being different could be detrimental to your health, to your job. Being different is being able to say, you know, okay, everybody's doing it. That's the common wisdom. That's unholy wisdom. But I'm not common. I'm uncommon because I have these parameters that God gave me that shows me who I am. And we studied this here a few, few weeks ago because Paul was leading into this part of holiness and how to obey God and what it is that we should be doing. And, and it's, it's interesting because he says here, uh, for, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord, for this is your, the will of God, your differentness, sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. You know, this is strange te uh, teaching, I guess, for some people because they, you know, they wonder, you know, why is he talking about sexual immorality within the church? And, and you have to understand the common understanding of sexual license during the time uh, of, of Paul in Thessalonica. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you from, uh, and I was going to try to just at least kind of wing it here, but I, I really want to read to you what William Barclay, he's a commentator on the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, what he says, and it says this, it may seem strange that Paul should go to such lengths to fix the importance of sexual purity in a Christian congregation. But two things have to be remembered. First, the Thessalonians had only recently come in into the Christian faith. Remember that. Paul just taught them and he had to get out of town and so they're just now learning this stuff. And they had come from a society in which chastity, in other words, being you know, sexually free, was, un, was an unknown virtue. In other words, in, during that time, hey, whatever sexual perversion happens is not a perversion, it's just normal, it's natural. They were still in the midst of a society and the infection of it was affecting them all the time. 
it would be exceedingly difficult for them to unlearn what they had for all their lives, except that it's natural. The second thing is that there was never an age in history when marriage vows were so disregarded and divorce so, so easy to do. And the phrase which we have translated as that each of you should know how to possess his own body in consecration and in honor could be translated that each of you may possess his own life and wife in consecration and in honor. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. So in the New, in the New Testament era of Thessalonica, in the very first, the Jews, they looked at marriage, that, that they held it in high esteem, supposedly. But you know, if, if, you were, if your wife displeased you, you can divorce her. Of course, for immorality, sexual immorality, unfaithfulness, you can divorce her. But it was that displeasing part that people had a hard time defining. And sometimes in, in a marriage, if the wife, for instance, added too much salt to the food, it displeases me. You're gone. Or, or if, if a wife didn't uh, get along with the in-laws, okay, that's displeasing. If for any little thing, the Jewish person can give his wife a certificate of divorce. And many times it was because they wanted to remarry somebody else. And these are the Jewish people. You know, in Rome, as a matter of fact, the Romans at that time, they, they, had, they had the understanding that, yes, I have a wife, you know, but well, she, she takes care of my household and she bears me my children. But I also have a mistress. You know, that's for fun. And I also have a concubine or at least a few of them. And if, if at that point in time, child sexual relations was normal. Children were being brought from all parts of the world to have sex with these kids, these people. And so the sexual immorality was a normal everyday life for these people. And the Greeks were just, just as immoral. You know, they keep prostitutes for pleasures, mistresses for day-to-day -day needs, and, uh, you know, and wives for taking care of kids as well. That was, their, that was their everyday norm. This is where these people come from. And many of them brought it into the church. They thought, well, it's, it's, it's common. It's normal. This is how we should act. You know, if I want to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with, I can. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard of the new movie that just came out called The Sound of Freedom. Anybody hear about that movie, The Sound of Freedom? If you haven't heard of the movie Sound of Freedom, it's Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel the guy that played Jesus on The Passion of the Christ. He did a documentary study, in a sense. It, it'll just, just looking at the previews, it'll rip your heart out. It'll just tear you up to see how child sex trafficking has flourished throughout the world and how children are being snatched up. And the number one country that they're being shipped to is the United States of America, where they take children and do whatever it is that they please to do. Now, you would think, you would think after the Jeffrey Epstein Island thing that got him busted and murdered and killed. Oh, well, he hung himself, apparently. And only one person, his mistress, was actually abducted, uh, was, was uh, indicted, and uh, she's in prison now. You would think after the boxes of videos that they have found, after all the logs that were logged into the airplane that traveled to this, this island, after all the names and everything else that you might have heard of and may, may have been released, you would think that by now this would be eradicated. And something would have been done. Now, this is, this is close to three years in the making now. You don't hear much of it. As a matter of fact, this movie, The Sound of Freedom, the media didn't want to cover it. The, the theaters didn't want anything to do with it. Nobody wanted to, to, to post it. You know, in the first day that it opened, back in July 4th, the first day, The Sound of Freedom, which was ironic, the first day that it opened, it made over a million dollars. And it's already topping all the movies everywhere. Because people genuinely want to know. They don't, we don't know. We don't understand the severity of it. The, the sexual depravity of this nation, of the world. And Paul is saying to be, to abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God, that your sanctification include, the first thing he says is abstain from sexual immorality. 
Now, I'm not saying that any of you, or I, I pray not, are involved in any of that child trafficking stuff. But, you know, sexual morality goes way beyond just that with children. It goes to, to sex outside of marriage, to sex with, with couples or with other people. You know, even pornography to some extent. Pornography and the books and the videos that we watch and things that are out there online. Paul says, you know, it, it's normal. You know, porn on the internet is a booming business, one of the biggest businesses in the world. But you don't hear about that either. You have this child sexual labor that is going on, and they're they're stealing kids and bringing them here all over the world. You got pornography. You got people just wanting to have any kind of sex they want with whoever they want. They're making it normal. They're introducing it to the children in schools teaching them from school books that have been authorized from the, the Board of Education and the states that they are in. And, and even now, some governor said, you know, if you take those books out of the library, we're not giving you any money. We're cutting you off our budget. There is this need for this message to get out to the church. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain, stay away from, do not even get involved in, don't even be a part of it. Don't even try to think that, you know, it's okay. You know, how far can I go before I sin should not be the Christian's language. How much can I do before I actually cross over the line? For you know the instructions, he says, this is the will of God to abstain, to abstain. In one of the verses that I have there right after that, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, Paul says, you, were, you used to be like this. That was your lifestyle. That was your, that's where you lived. Everybody was doing it. And it was just natural. In Corinthian, in Corinth, they had this, uh, this Acropolis for uh, the, the, the temple of Diana. And in Diana, they had over a thousand temple priests prostitutes that as you would come and to worship in this temple with this prostitute that what it would do it would according to their thinking was it would get you closer to the gods that you were trying to have this relationship with and if you did this enough times it would secure your bounty in your fields because it would cause you to be more fertile, not only in your own childbearing, but also in the, the land and the crops and everything else and your cattle and everything else that you, you would possess. And it was a form of worship. And Paul is in Corinth saying, no, 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 you don't do that. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest, uh, I guess, messages that came out of this whole Jesus movement during the time of Corinth the one, one historian says, you know, Christianity really liberated women. Liberated so they can have just one husband. So they can be married just to one man. Not to be passed around like a, like a toy or a tool. And, and to be loved by that one man as that man loves his body. And so wives, you need to submit to them so that they can care for you and take care of you. And husbands, love them and care for them, provide for them as the weaker vessel because they're just being used in every way, shape, or form. And that message still should resound in the, in the ears of many believers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and, and such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, he says. I want you guys to be blameless from sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You know, people say, it's, a, it's an affair. No, it's not an affair. It's adultery. You know, I, I, I had a fling. That's not a fling. That's sexual immorality. We, we lessen the sin by calling it something else. And we got to call it for what it is. 
God is not pleased with the sexual activity of any kind. Of any kind. For God will judge the sexually immoral. Look at Ephesians 5.3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. What Paul is saying there, you know, you shouldn't even be talking about these things. Let alone watching it on TV or the movies. These things are not even be part of your life. You should not even, as I said earlier, be even thinking about how far can I go before I cross that line. It should be, I need to get as far away from this as possible. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness, Paul includes both of those things. Coveting your neighbor's wife or coveting the things that your neighbor have must not even be named among you. It shouldn't even be something that that is brought up. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes on this huge list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. He's talking to the church. He said a little while ago, don't do it like the Gentiles do. Don't do that. See, that, that's, that's what they're doing. You need to abstain from that. You need to stay away from all that stuff. In verse 5, Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know God. Matter of fact, Jesus took it a step further. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Well, yeah, we know that part. Well, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, women, before you think, is, you know, okay, well, he's talking to the men. No, he's talking to you too. But he was focusing on the men. Men are more visual. Men have a more visual understanding and they get gratified through the visualness. Women are more relational. And they think, women think that if, you know, if I build a relationship with this man that's not my husband, you know, and I share some secrets with him and, and I get emotionally involved, then, you know, I'm okay. No, that's the same thing as adultery. You're sharing things that you should only be sharing with your husband. And women are more, more relational and that's how they have their affair. And, and they push the envelope to see, you know, how far can I go before I cross the line? And because they don't want to break up that relationship, the men are more visual, they're more physical, they want the physical action, and a lot of times they are pressured, or at least they find themselves in a situation that they can't get out. Because it was late, they had a drink, they were out in a car somewhere, end up in a hotel, oh wow, look where we're at. And they find themselves in a situation where the man only wants what he wants, as long as the woman is getting that relational part of it. And so this sexual immorality was a big thing in the New Testament because it was a big thing in the New Testament, just like it is today. And it's getting worse. Beloved, I don't understand, I really don't, how it is that we can have so much debauchery with children, and yet they're allowing all this stuff to come into the school grounds. They are, they are molding them. They are fashioning them. They are developing them. They are working with them to be their tools much later. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it's not in your outlines, but it says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually moral, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, But such... Or some of you, you used to be like that. See, because you hated God. You didn't want anything to do with God. You want nothing. 1 Corinthians 6.15 also says the rest of it. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. This is not just in marriage. It happens in sexual immorality. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee. Run from it. 
Sexual immorality, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually moral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. If you have been converted, if you've been born again, if Jesus Christ has entered your life and the Spirit resides in you, you're, you're not His. See, you're twice God's. God created you and then He paid for you. He paid for you with the precious blood of Christ. That cross has to mean something more than just an ornament, something I hang on my neck, hang up on my wall. That Christ is a significant symbol that Jesus Christ took all that ugliness away from me. And he's called me to be holy, separate, sanctified. And the first area that Paul talks about is in sexual immorality. So what do I do? Verses 4 and 6. That each one of you know how to control his own body. Paul gives us some 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 handles here. He says, how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. First of all, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control your own body. My body's out of control. I can't control myself. I can't control my passions. I, I can't control my feelings. I can't control my heart. My heart wants what it wants. Therefore, I'm going to go for it. You know, Jesus said, if I thought about it, I might as well just do it. That's not what he said. <laughs> but that's what he said. Yeah, if I thought about it, I might as well just go ahead and do it. Because I've already sinned. So, you, you know, the consequences of both those actions are different. If you think about it, it defiles your heart, it defiles your thinking, your mind, and it, and it defiles, you know, it, and it causes you all kinds of angst in your life because you have an incongruent value. You know what you should be doing, but you're thinking about something else. The Bible says flee from it. But however, when you do participate in what you're thinking about, then that causes a whole other issue of consequences. Sexually transmitted diseases, divorce, the loss of your family, loss of your children. A whole lot of other consequences. And so Paul says, learn how to control your body. Know this. You need to know how to do this. This is not, this is not a secret. In Romans 13, 14 in your outlines, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. So you put, how do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you do that? Well, in the morning you wake up, you read His Word, and you, get, you get filled with His Word and meditate upon it all day long. Now, are you going to get tempted still? Yeah, of course you are. Is, are, are all these things going to happen? Yeah, you just do what you have to do and make no provisions for the flesh. In other words, the flesh wants what it wants. And that's the biggest struggle that we have. It's not Satan, which Satan uses the flesh, but it's, it's more the flesh and the world that is causing us to stumble through this world. So, so we don't make any provisions for it. In other words, hey, look, if you're caught up in, a, in pornography, get rid of it. You know, somebody, Jesus said once that if your eye causes you to stumble, to gouge it out, it's better that you enter the kingdom of heaven with one good eye than to be cast into hell and out of darkness with two good eyes. And, and some people, you know, say, well, how, well how, does, how do you do that? Do you really? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, I don't necessarily think that he's actually you do to maim yourself. But however, one of the things you can do probably is just get, get rid of your cable. Get rid of your internet. People have stood back and said, you know, I'd rather gouge out my eye. At least I have one good eye still to look at. <laughs> I'd rather just keep the cable, man. Take my eye out. What Jesus is saying is, do whatever is necessary. Why do you want to make provisions for the flesh if you know that's where you are struggling? To gratify its desires. 
2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Again, not in your outlines, but in Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you do that? How do, I, how do I put this to practice? How do I put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at this verse, Galatians 5.16, in your outlines. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. There's that word again. Live your life in such a way that you are walking by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit as you're living by the Spirit. And guess what? Paul says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You, you want to you make no allowances for the flesh? No allotment for the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead you. Read His Word. Memorize His Word. Meditate on His Word. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I have overcome. I have more strength, more power, and the ability than, than anything else because of what God's Word has promised me. In Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, which is your spiritual act of worship. You want to know what your spiritual act of worship is? There it is. Offer your body to God. God, this is your body. This is your life. This is the life, the body that you've given to me for me and my wife, my wife only. And Lord, I want to honor you with this wife. I want to give you my life. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else. Don't be common, unholy. Do not get conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation, that metamorphosizing, is the, is the word that, that is, is where, a, where a caterpillar metamorphosizes or transforms or changes into a butterfly. It's a process. It's a process. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? There it is again. He wants you to be transformed. He wants you to be renewed. What is good and acceptable and perfect. And the rest of Galatians chapter 5 says here, But the fruit of the Spirit, and here it is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And what's the last one? Self-control. See, Paul started off by saying, control your body. You want self-control? You got to have the Spirit. You got to have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that's going to give you. <coughs> He's going to give you the love and the joy and the peace that you need for your life. Instead of trying to find it somewhere else or with someone else. He's going to give you the patience that you need to wait for just the right time, the kindness that you need, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and He's going to give you the self-control. But I can't help it. My heart wants what the heart wants. I, I, I just can't seem to control myself. Well, maybe it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe because the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in you. Have you repented? Have you changed the way you think? Have you desired to chase after God? If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have the self-control. It's not something that you have to pray for. It is there. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit just imbues. It just comes out of you because you have the Spirit. And, and you have to recognize that you have this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and you have this self-control. In today's culture, as Paul's culture, it was just physical, very physical. The believer should not act like an unbeliever, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do. This word lust comes from the Greek word um, epithumios, where it's two words put together. Thumos, or thumos is a, uh, uh, where we get our word thermos or thermo. Our temperature, thermometer, it's, it's heat. It's this ability, this epithumos, is, it refers to this out of control, raging fire, this craving that you have. Paul says you need, 
can't be caught up in these passions and lustfulness and and, uh, and, and and you know I mean there's there's things that we can desire and want and it's used in a positive sense as well but when it's used against when it's used with sexual immorality it usually deals in the negative sense see I'm asking you to have this passion and this desire for God I want this fire to be burning within you as Paul told Timothy light that flame that is in you because God did not give you a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, of sound mind, and of self-control. And I want this fire to burn within you in a positive sense toward God. But in the same sense, many people have told me before, well, you know, everything that I used to do in the world toward my drug addiction, toward my bad habits, my malias, everything, everything that I used to do, I'm now taking it this way. It's the same word, but used in a different context. And so we should not take advantage of other people. One of the things that he says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, Paul says, you know what? Do not transgress. Do not do wrong to somebody else through this sexual immorality. Because when you have, when there's sexual immorality, these two people, and if it's not consensual within the, the context of marriage, then you're doing wrong to that other person. You have sinned against them only to gratify yourself. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. For God has not called you or called us for impurity, verses 6 through 7 through 8. For God, 7 through 8, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Everything I've shared with you today came from my lips. And everything that I shared with you today is coming from the Word of God. So, you can stand there, or you can sit there and say, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You can think, you know, that's just what he, that's the way he, he interprets it. Right here is telling you, you know, you're not disregarding man. You're literally disregarding God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. In Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 20, 32. So don't try to get back at somebody else. God has His own day that He's going to avenge. For God has called us, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And then Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is constantly saying, walk, walk, walk. I guess he could have made a song called Walk Like a Man. And then he says in Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You, beloved, you're not in the flesh. You're not. And, and you are in the Spirit, and I'm just taking that for your word, for who you are, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Do what you may, say what you may, Try to get to where you want to get to in whatever way. But if you're not listening to what God's telling you to do, then maybe you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you. And this is why self-control is very difficult and hard. Many people have tried various ways, uh, programs, various thoughts, and willpower, and you know, just changing the way I think, and mind power, and uh, uh, you know, all these other things. Behavior modification. And it works for so long, and maybe you may have been able to, to kick an addiction or a habit. But you know what? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so because you're not in the flesh and you're in the Spirit, you should be able to go to Him and have Him give you the strength and the power that you need because you got it. You got the fruit of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
if the Holy Spirit is within you, he's going to guard that. Are you going to slip? Are you going to fall? Are you going to say something? Yes, but you're not going to stay there. You're not going to throw you up your arms. Oh, well, huh? I, I slipped or I fell. No, you didn't. You didn't fall. You ran toward it. And the remedy is the Spirit of God that lives within you. You know, Paul has a lot more to say about this uh, concerning brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He's going to talk about love again, and he's going to talk about some more things, especially on the second coming. But Paul, first and foremost, says, look, you guys live in a very perverse culture. Stay away from sexual immorality. And if you're involved in it, then repent. Repent and do what is right. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, we know that your word is true. And this word, Father, is yours, not mine. Sometimes it's easier just to pass over passages like this. But we are at this pass right now. We are right here in these verses at this time in this place. And for those who are willing to hear and are able to hear, you have a message for each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to break free from this culture and to hold on to Christ. To break free from what the world has and dive into the Word. And I pray, Lord, that, that we grow. My prayer is like Paul's prayer, that we grow on a regular basis more and more in holiness and that we walk in a manner that it's worthy to the call that you've called us to. Because ultimately, you died for that sin. You didn't die on the cross just to make me happy. You didn't die on the cross to keep me going back to my own sin so that I can use it as an excuse. You died on that cross to make me holy. Now my part is to pursue that holiness and to please my Father. To please you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your prompting, constant prompting. I pray that every time that we are prompted by you, that we surrender, that we repent, and we recognize the direction in which we should go. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each person within the sound of my voice that is willing to grow because of your word and of your promise. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness and how you've forgiven us. For such were some of us. Thank you for the reminder as to why it is that we do what we do. And though maybe some might not be caught up in the sexual immorality, we are caught up in this world. And it's all around us. And we need to proclaim this as best as we can to those that we love. So Father, once again, we just ask you to continue to be with us, dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. Thank you. All right, stick around for some fellowshaping. And I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up. Here.